Hey there, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. Man, we had a great weekend here at Tower Hill. This last Sunday, if you're listening in real time, this was Memorial Day weekend, which is always great, kind of the unofficial beginning of summer. But more than that, we just had an awesome day of worship from our traditional service, our contemporary service, our Tower Hill night service, which has been really cool. It's been our coffee house style worship service has just been going so great. And it is just a reminder of what a blessing it is to have the freedom to worship God. And it's that freedom that people sacrificed for on this Memorial Day. It really struck me that freedom is not free. And who knows that better than our Lord Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice? I feel like whenever people make sacrifices for one another, that is just a, an echo of what Jesus has done for us. And so we give thanks for all those who serve and who have served and lost their lives to secure the freedom that we so easily enjoy. Well, also... Things going on in the life of the church that you should be aware of. Again, coming up this weekend is our big uh, Compassion Weekend where we are featuring some ministry opportunities. One of those on Saturday, we're doing a, a hike with a youth ministry that we sponsor called Aslan Youth Ministry. More information on that is on our website. We're also helping out our friends down at lunch break with the Stuff the Truck event. So on Sunday, you can come and bring your canned goods, and we're literally going to stuff the lunch break truck uh, to help fill their pantry for all those in need this summer. So we're hoping to get about 5,000 pounds of food. So show up. Show up with your canned goods at 10 o'clock. That's in between services for us at Tower Hill. Come, and we are going to stuff the truck. Well, without further ado, we'll take you into this week's message that is all about what happened when persecution began in that early church and what can we learn from it. And so here we go until the whole world hears. Have a great week, everyone. Last week, we talked about the, a turning point for the apostles in their willingness to share the gospel under hostile terms, how when they were put into the spotlight, they had a chance to, to back off, to not admit that they were preaching about Jesus when they were right before the authorities. But what did they say? Remember they said, they said, as for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. They decided that when they were going to be put in the spotlight, they were going to double down. And then if you remember what they said, they said, not only are we proclaiming and teaching in the name of Jesus... But Jesus is the one whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. All of you religious people have gotten it wrong that Jesus is the answer. And we said how after they took that risk and they were bold, then the authorities let them go. But we're getting to a time in the early church's life when they were going to stop letting them go. And when persecution was really going to happen to the early Christian church. And that's where we find our place in the story today. It begins with an apostle named Stephen. And this is where it was a real tipping point on how the church was treated moving forward. So let's go to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Uh, interesting. Scholars love to debate this stuff. Want to know who this synagogue of the freedmen was? It is believed that it was a, a synagogue, a group of Jewish people who had previously been slaves in other parts of the Roman Empire and were freed and had their own synagogue. That's just a fun fact. That has really nothing to do with our story. Synagogue of the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And, and perhaps we remember the words of Jesus early on, who said, when they throw you out of the synagogues. The synagogues is where the persecution began. Is that he was telling them, the synagogue, everything that makes you, you. Everything that makes you and your identity as a Jewish person is going to be under fire because of your beliefs in Jesus. And we see this happening here. In the synagogues, they are getting, Stephen is getting persecuted. But, verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Are you noticing a pattern here so far? The Spirit is giving Stephen wisdom that they can't match. And we look back at earlier in the book of Acts... Acts 2, 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 4, 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Yeah, there is a pattern here of the Holy Spirit is filling them and using them, giving them, like we said last week, giving them the words to say when everything is on the line. That when we risk everything, when we risk it all, Jesus gives us the words. Anybody who has lived in a relationship with God for a while, you've probably experienced this on some, some level. How God, how the Spirit gives you words to say, and I feel like it's kind of like a teleprompter sometimes. I, I say words, and it's clearly somebody else's words that he's giving me to say for that person to hear. I've also had other people claim that they had words for me from God. Those are a little suspect when people like, I got a word for you. This is from God. But, but there have been times when definitely this actually happens because I get to speak in front of you every week. This happens to me in the sermon is that I'll say something and it will feel like it hit you square in the eye. Like it hit you right exactly what you're going through in your life. That's not because I'm so great. It's because God is so great. It's because the Holy Spirit is giving me a word to say to you that is hitting you right in your life. It happens all the time. Or maybe you had a situation where, where uh, you were talking with somebody and something in you, it's like you felt like you're supposed to say something and it kind of sounded bold and you're like, I don't know if I could. And then you go for it. And then, you know, as you're waiting to, like, you know, prepare yourself for the, for the response, they go, man, how did you know? That's exactly what I needed to hear. And we could say, I mean, that's, that's coincidence, it's human intuition, it's whatever you want to call it. But in my experience, the only thing I know to call it is God, because I'm not that smart. I'm not that good at reading people. God gives you the words when you need them, when you're willing to risk it all for him, when you're in the spotlight, he will give you the words to say. 
But what I want to do now is take this idea that the Holy Spirit is filling these apostles with the words to say, words to do. I, I want to, sort of like you're looking at a, at a map, you know, like, uh, like on your phone where, where you zoom out. I want to zoom out for a minute and talk a little bit about what does this mean, this filling of the Holy Spirit? Because I think this can get a little bit confusing. So, zoom out for a sec. Holy Spirit. Clearly, there's two different kinds of being filled with the Holy Spirit going on so far in the book of Acts. The first one is, it's like this filling of the Holy Spirit that happens to all the believers. All the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. There's a, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their life. But then, in these other moments, when everything's on the line, it's, it wants to add. And then that person... Filled with the Holy Spirit did something. The Holy Spirit gives an extra something, an extra portion. And we've, we talk about this all the time, that you and your spiritual gifts, God's gifted you in a certain way to be used for his kingdom. And so what he does is he, he has you use that gift at the right time in the right moment. Of course, we all have to be willing to get out of the way and, and do it. But, you know, that's another story, our willingness to partner with God. But there's, there's a something else that we're filled with the Holy Spirit in an extra kind of way. In a way that's different maybe than other people. And it seems to happen in a situation. And this is what we see early in the life of the church. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. But then also in particular times when needed, the Holy Spirit would fill them to do something. But you see, I think what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's funny, we talk about the Holy Spirit, at least Presbyterians, it's like, okay, they're going to bring out the snakes, and we're going to have a healing. Like, that people get weird when they talk about the Holy Spirit. You ever notice that? Because, I don't know, there's a lot of... Are we re- we're recording this, aren't we? I could delete this part. There's a lot of weird Christians. Am I right? Am I, I'm not telling tales out of school, okay? So we start talking about the Holy Spirit, and we start thinking, all right, here we go. <laughs> it's on. It's going to get weird. My experience of the Holy Spirit has been something completely different. And I think, I think it would be helpful to just look at what do we mean when we, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I think it gets to... The number one and number two questions of human life. The questions that all human beings at one point or another ask. I think the Holy Spirit's the answer to them. And that's this. Who am I? And what am I here for? Why am I here? Who am I and why am I here? I think these are the questions. These are the deepest questions of humanity. Have you ever noticed in your life, maybe you could think about a time in your life where you didn't know the answer to these questions. Or maybe you're in a period of like, something got stirred up and kicked up and now you're re-asking those questions. Whenever you're in this position in your life and you're asking and you don't know the answer, you will have a tendency to feel lost and discouraged, maybe even angry. You feel like you don't know what your next step is supposed to be. Maybe even you battle with depression. I think not knowing the answer to these questions has a huge impact on our souls. I feel like 
until we have a relationship with God, until God helps us to answer these questions, we're all just like Jason Bourne in The Bourne Identity. Just like him. Exactly like Jason Bourne. We wake up, we're filled with bullet holes. No, okay, maybe not exactly, but... But the idea is, like, we don't know who we are. We don't know how we got here. We don't know what we're for, what our purpose is. We're confused. We're lost. We don't know where to turn next. And we discover we're on a mission that we know nothing about. We have these certain skill set that we don't even realize that we have. But we don't understand our purpose or what we're supposed to do with it. And it is a horrible, horrible existence. It is frustrating and it is hard. I feel like this, is, this was my life before I knew Jesus, before I had a relationship with Jesus. Or you may be experiencing this in your life now. Maybe you just finished college and you're still unclear about the answers to these questions. Or maybe you're going to college. Maybe you just became empty nesters and you're re-asking these questions like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's... There's me in this life now. Now the kids are gone. Maybe you received your identity from your job and, and you got laid off. Or you had to switch careers. And you're asking yourself all over again, who am I? What am I for? And then Jesus does something in your life. You're searching, you're searching, you're searching. And then you come to Jesus Christ say, look, God, I don't know who I am or what I'm for. All I know is what you did for me, and I'm putting my faith in you. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again, and that if I put my faith in you, it's going to change. It's going to change me. And then when that happens, the only way that I could explain when this happened to me in my life was how I felt on the inside. I went from going feeling lost and feeling broken and not knowing what's going on and depressed and angry. Although on the outside it looked like I was having a great time for the record. Everyone thought I was having a great time. I was not having a great time. The only way I could describe it is uh, every year, those who've been with us a while, you know that I always talk about our summer trip to Vermont because it's my happy place. Vermont, Lake Champlain, sitting on the lake, especially those mornings, when it's like glass, when that lake is like glass. I think I have a picture of it here if you go to the next one. And I sit down by the lake and I feel instantly at peace. Instantly. It's crazy. It's like no matter what's going on in the whole year of my life, I sit down in that little camp chair. Sometimes I have the guitar with me, sometimes I don't. But I just sit there and I feel a deep, abiding kind of peace, like I could just instantly fall asleep. This is what I felt in my soul the day that I met Jesus. I went from being lost and scared and not knowing what was going on in my life into feeling this. Why? Because all of a sudden I know who I am and I know why I'm here. I know that I'm a child of God and I know that I am here to serve God and enjoy this life and bring as many people in this life with me to the party. And so now when, now that didn't change any of the situations in my life. My problems were still my problems. It wasn't like a magic wand was waved over life. 
But fundamentally, something changed me from the inside out, and I approached my life in a completely different way. I would never go back. Isn't this kind of soul-deep, soul-anchoring peace what we're all searching for? Let me tell you, this is what God wants for us. This is what he wants for you. No more Jason Bourne, just Lake Champlain. So how did this happen? What are the mechanics of it? Well, the Holy Spirit does something. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. So what's the Holy Spirit do? When I put my faith in Jesus, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is restores, restores me to a right relationship with God. I go from being lost and not knowing him into being connected with God again. What sin has broken because of my humanity, Jesus has put back together. Now, once my relationship with God is restored, what happens? I experience peace. This is what the ancient Hebrews called God's shalom, wholeness, fullness, completeness. I experience that inner abiding peace because I have been restored to a right relationship with God. But then it doesn't end there. Then I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring peace to others. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to say things, to do things, to use my spiritual gifts to help people in their search for this kind of peace. And I realize I'm not drawing from myself, from my own ability. I'm drawing from a God-sized well. Like I said before, I'm just not that smart to know everything everybody needs to hear. I'm drawing from a God-sized well. And it's all according to God's plan. Let me tell you, life filled with the Holy Spirit is unlike any other life. And let me tell you something. Once you've got a taste of it, you never want to go back. It's the whole reason I'm standing here. Somebody asked me the other day, did you ever think you would be like a pastor at a Presbyterian church in New Jersey when you grew up in L.A. in a completely pagan home? who worshipped basically the Beatles. Like, did you ever think, no, there's no way I could have imagined it. Would you ever go back and do it over again? Never. Never. Because I, I wouldn't have this peace that has so anchored and transformed my life. But this does not mean that life will always be peaceful or that we don't have any more problems or that we're never going to have any hardship. It's different. It's just we face our problems and our hardship with peace that God gives us. I mean, listen, it didn't, it, peace didn't happen for Jesus, so why would we think it's going to happen for us? Life is still life. All right, let's zoom back in to Stephen's story to remember why, why are believers, why are followers of Jesus filled with the Spirit to begin with? Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power, there it is, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So I'm giving you power to do something, to share my peace with the world. Okay, let's go back to Stephen's story, verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. 
So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? Again, he has an opportunity to just be like, No, no, my bad. No, they're not true. What he does, and we don't have time to read the whole thing. I want to encourage you to go home this week and read all of chapter 7. Because it's really great what he says. He basically takes all the teachers of the law and he leads them through how, tracing all the way back to Moses, that everything Jesus did was furthering God's work through Moses. It's awesome. He goes back, he's like, no, we're not changing anything. You just had it wrong from the beginning. I mean, the Holy Spirit definitely gives him words to say because this is just a really amazing sermon and he, he's quoting the scriptures. and It's awesome. But I love how he ends. I mean, this is quite a sermon ending. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people. He could have used some Dale Carnegie in his life. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever, I love this, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through, through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I mean, just a horrific scene and horrific situation where Stephen becomes the first of the apostles to die for believing and proclaiming Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, this would only continue. And it started, it really changed. It was a tipping point for a bigger, larger scale persecution of the church that would lead to the blood of thousands of Christians who were persecuted, tortured, and killed for preaching the name of Jesus. In fact, uh, the word, same word that we get the word witnesses is the same Greek word where we get the word martyr. And this is where it comes from. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. It's the same word, martyria, where we get the word martyr. 
Listen, there's no way to sugarcoat this into some teaching point other than this, this was horrific. I mean, this kind of persecution is horrible. And I think it's pretty hard to sit, sit there and say, well, God, God wanted the persecution to happen so that, no, 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 no. That's not my view of God. God doesn't will these things to happen. He wills for there to be free will which is what made it happen, then God can take the horrible thing and use it for good. But not to say God wanted this or God, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's not what I believe. What I want to focus on, though, is Stephen himself in this moment. As a point to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Is this a picture of a man in his final moments who seems distraught, confused, lost, angry, frustrated? No. This is somebody who seems full of peace, empowered by God, used even in the face of horrible adversity. This is someone whose life is filled with the Holy Spirit. No matter what the circumstance, he could face it. Here's what Stephen believed. Stephen believed that death with Jesus was far superior than life without him. These apostles had more courage in their little finger, I think, than I'll ever have. It's hard for us to imagine. We're, most of us are never going to have to be persecuted like that or be in a moment where it's life or death. But I do wonder if, if forced to tell, you know, do I believe that death with Jesus is superior to life without him? I think it's a question that we all ought to ask ourselves. Here's the other thing about Stephen. Stephen trusted God's plan that despite all the evidence to the contrary, that God is in control. Despite how things look, God is in control. It would have been easy, I think, in that moment for for not only Stephen, but all the apostles to be like, well, this thing's gone south. Like, I don't know, God's whole, like, you're going to go and tell the world, you're going to make disciples of all nations, and you're going to tell them. Like, I think that's over. No. Despite all that they saw in front of them, they had no idea what was actually in the blood of martyrdom. The blessing of God would transform the entire world in a way nobody could have imagined. Verse 8-1, and Saul approved of their killing him. He was mentioned earlier. Who was there at the stoning of Stephen? Saul, the persecutor of the church. Who is Saul? The man who would transform and become Paul, the apostle, who was responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament, whose ministry alone ensured That the gospel went to the ends of the earth. God took this horrible thing. And he turned it 
to bring all of us to Jesus Christ. He didn't want Stephen to die, but despite all evidence to the contrary, God never lost control. And now he could fulfill his promise that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think this is all really interesting. But how does it land in our everyday life? How about for you? Where does this land in your everyday life? Because otherwise, it's just a a great, you know, it's an inspirational talk that you can think about and forget the second you walk out of here. But where does this land in everyday life? I want to give you a couple of things to think about in that regard. And they're all questions of, of what it is that we believe. The first is, do you believe that death, to die with Jesus, is better than to live without him? That's a tough one. That's probably the toughest question. Do you believe it's better to die with Jesus than to live without him? I don't expect that all of us would say yes right now. It's a hard question. But don't we owe it to Stephen to take a good look at it? Don't we owe it to all those martyrs who died so that we can hear the message? Don't we owe it to them to give it a fair shot? That it just could be true that Jesus is worth more than anything else. The next question is, do you believe that you'll find your identity in Christ through the Holy Spirit? Do you think that that's possible? That you can actually get away from being Jason Bourne for a while? You can actually find your identity and your purpose. And what will that do for you? What kind of peace will you feel when you know who you are and why you're here? And lastly, do you believe that despite all the evidence to the contrary, all the bad things that have happened in your life, that God is actually in control? That a miracle could be right around the corner in your life? That some supernatural way God's going to use something that nobody expected is going to change everything for you? But think about this. What if you believe this? What would it do for your life here and now? I'll tell you what it would do. It would give you a deep and abiding peace 